Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Collective Podcast. We are looking this week at the first round of uh, the Six Nations. And we're looking at a review of that. We're going to look a little bit ahead to the next round. And we're also going to talk you through our team of the week. I'm joined as ever by Will. I'm James. And Will. Three games this weekend. Two on a, uh, One on a Friday, two on a Saturday. Made my Sunday feel a little bit lonely. But. How did you enjoy the rugby? Did you enjoy the rugby? How was it for you? Yeah, I did enjoy the rugby. It was a, it was nice to have the Six Nations back. I think the the hype of the Six Nations always just gets you through the year, doesn't it? Gets you through that last little bit of January with the the the, the forward look into the World Cup um, to work up to the Six Nations when that comes around. Um, early this I, year, isn't it? Feels really early. It does start. a bit, yeah, it does. But at the same time, January felt like an age as always. Um, but yeah, I do agree with the Sunday. I do do miss the did miss the, the Sunday game. Um, but hopefully, well, thankfully they're back this weekend. Um, yeah, yeah, and some also, big games, and our also, predictions were okay, weren't they? But not great. Yeah, I think so. I think I think we both, as most people did, looking online, most people went for France from what I saw, and obviously Ireland won that one. But yeah, apart from that, the favourites won. I think so. Um, but lots of talking points. I think. Almost the first game fell a little bit flat in the end, um, which was a little bit disappointing because people were really bigging that up as the game of the tournament, the first game, and it maybe didn't deliver. But I thought the other two were absolute crackers, maybe tighter than we actually thought they would be or looked like they could be at one point. So um, I think we definitely made up for it as we got further through the weekend. Yeah, I completely agree. So we might as well jump straight into the first Friday night fixture, haven't we? Yeah. Although I do miss, just before we do, I did miss the Premier League and not having Premier League, not Premier League, sorry, the Premiership and not having um, having that rugby alongside, because obviously we're used to having that rugby alongside it. Um, so that was a bit of a miss for me, especially when I caught a bit of um, the top 14 uh, on, on Friday, uh, Sunday evening and seeing the teams they've still got out, even though they're missing all their internationals, um, made me a little bit sad. But... Um, I'm, I'm happy for the Six Nations, but it is it's, it's distract me already. I'm missing it, and we are waiting till the end of March for more Premiership rugby. But yeah, I do think it's good though. Like it's, it is what we've been sort of campaigning for for a few years, isn't it? In the sense of we want these Premiership games to be full noise as much as possible. So in doing that, once the Six Nations is around, not having those games, albeit rubbish, not having the to tune into your local teams and get into the Premiership, but I think for the for the grand scheme of things, it is better, isn't it, to make sure we've got those Premiership players and Premiership teams firing on all cylinders with all the best players. And yeah, making especially with the condensed league now. Yeah, hundred percent. You don't. Yeah, if you've got eighteen games in a season, you don't want seven or eight of those to be without internationals, do you? That makes it for a little bit of a crap season. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, right, on to France-Ireland. A little bit of a weird game, um, considering France were down to 14 men for, what, 60 minutes of that game? Um, I mean, first... that's, the, that's the obvious start point, isn't it? Before we get into the actual good bits of this rugby, yeah, I'm a big fan of Paul Willemser. However, what a stinker. Yeah, what was he doing? Just absolutely stupid. What if you're on a yellow card? What on earth is going through your head to go into that second, um, second tackle? Like, 
Yeah. It, it's I'm... a risky tackle. If that comes off as a good tackle, it still gets looked at. Do you know what I mean? If, if you manage to slip the net and make that a good tackle, it still gets looked at because of the nature of it. And he didn't get away with it. I don't think it was a straight red, if I'm honest. Um, no, I thought maybe that was harsh, but it was just the force that came in. Um, just, if I'm being yeah, honest, I, 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 sorry, I looked at a, a, a ruck he hit just not long before that, um, and he absolutely flew into a ruck and, and didn't get reviewed or anything, but it kind of looked like he went in, no, not really any arms, kind of shoulder first, sort of onto the head, head neck area or something. And I kind of thought to myself, we were talking in a group chat um, back and forth during the game, didn't put it in there, but I was kind of thinking to myself, this... He's gonna get himself sent off if he's not careful. He needs to rein it back in, rein it in, because I was like, he could easily get a yellow, another yellow card here, and then literally it was like two minutes later he goes and does that tackle. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, it it, it did take me by surprise, and I mean, it was right for him to be sent off in the end because he was sort of flying around like a bit of a headless chicken at the end of it, wasn't he? But it was questionable, 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 questionable. But um. I think it's two yellow cards, though, ultimately. If I was going to judge it, I think it's two separate yellow cards. I agree, yeah. I think the second straight red, the second card to be a straight red was, I think, was a tough one, I think. But, um, yeah, I wonder what that will mean for him, band-wise. We haven't heard yet what he'll be looking like. But Cameron Wockey is due to come back into the starting 15 for France. So, I mean, in terms of a good replacement, Cameron Wockey is not a bad one to come back in. Um, well, maybe that was why he was acting like that. Obviously, missed the uh, World Cup with a knee injury. Was it a knee injury? I think it was a knee injury. Anyway, an injury. Um, maybe he was just getting back into France and was really pumped to try and prove that, right, I've been given my chance, prove that he was uh, really important to the squad. And obviously, it went quite wrong. He looked just over... He looked um, overhyped. It's like, kind of, you know, um, it takes back to that uh, in football, but... Liverpool Man United game and Gerrard went on at half time and in about 30 seconds later he slides in or someone gets a straight red and and it was like he was just too pumped and too and he lost his head and that was kind of what it reminded me of because he was just he just didn't look like he was in control anymore yeah I mean you are right first game back um in France big crowd Friday night six nations easy one to get over reft for isn't it but um but yeah, I mean, Cameron Wockey will come back into that team and Henry Tuolangi will probably stay on the bench, I expect. Maybe Tyofuna maybe starts alongside Cameron Wockey. I don't know, but they've got plenty of options there. Um, do you think his... his uh, moving on to Tuolangi. Do you think his uh, game was kind of overhyped because of the name, because of the size? I've seen so many things where it's like drop to masterclass, all this sort of stuff. And now I'm very much of the opinion. I'm very much of the opinion he's your man. Yeah, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. It, it, yeah. I didn't. I felt he was okay, but he was nothing outrageous. I didn't think. I mean, he's gonna be a fantastic player to watch because the the stuff which he's gonna get stuck into is big hits. You know the way that um, Antonio hits people, uh, Tammy Afuna hits people. Um, trying to think. Well, Henry Tuolangi, if we're if we're bringing it back in as well, uh, Alessana as well. The way he tackled people. Manu. Um, Manu slightly different because he is quite a direct. Maybe maybe old Manu actually. Yeah, and five six years ago Manu when he was fit probably actually. 
you know the ones where there seems to be very little force coming through but if you're anywhere near that channel as soon as you see that player dip and bring their arm out if they're hitting you you'll get an absolutely demolished from whatever angle it is he very much strikes me as that kind of tackler and what's really exciting about those is those tackles come out of nowhere with the big hits i'm thinking uh the Kamuam, uh chris harris um jacks burger used to put him in really well you know those sort of designated hits that you see a mile off as soon as that pass starts to fly to that player these players read it to perfection and nail them as soon as the the right legal opportunity pre- one that sort of presents brings itself. to mind is the Courtney Laws one on the French 10 oh yeah perfect perfect uh, um perfect example yeah so, as soon as that guy touched the ball you knew he was getting absolutely nailed but with Pesolo Tuolangi People are putting in these these short, sharp carries. And if he's anywhere near them, he's going to annihilate them from, from one angle or another. And that's exciting in the game. And when he carries, he carries well. And he carries about three blokes, maybe four. And even then, he's carrying them five, six, seven metres minimum. So from that perspective, he's an exceptionally useful player to have. I think he's an eight. I think what he needs to do is maybe trim a couple of kilos and get a little bit more mobile and then switch yeah. to an eight. Because... He's a good bulk, but he almost seems too difficult to scrummage around because you've got a very lopsided scrub. I think France won't have that problem because France can provide players big and big and strong enough to deal with to to accompany him pushing through. I think that the issue is it's a big loss at scrum time unless you have someone like Waki in your team who was exceptional at lineout time. Maybe if you have a traditional second row and then Waki at six. That's probably the best way to do it because then you have two traditional jumpers. Um, but I, I guess don't think Pesola Tulang is starting this year. Jalonch would normally have been in the team when he goes up in the lineup, doesn't he? Yeah, does Cross go up as well? I don't know, to be honest. I've not watched enough of him. Can Olivon go up? Well, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Olivon, obviously the obvious one, isn't he? He obviously yeah. goes up as well and he will play six. So, yeah, maybe we're, we're worrying about nothing. Maybe you put Wocky. And well, no, I want to see them put him up. Pardon? I want to see them put him up in the lineup. <laughs> put him up as the front man. Jeez, boy, big boy going up. Why not? Take people by surprise, I'm sure. Do you remember when Ben Morgan played in second row for Gloucester? And in the same game, he jumped, lifted, and threw into to a lineup, to, to lineups throughout the game. That's the sort of impact I want to see from Pasolo to Elaine. Um, I mean, um, with Atonio there, he, he can probably get him up. He's a big boy himself. <laughs> yeah, true, to be fair. Well, I don't know, actually. 150k, because you need another big big um, uh, backlift there, don't you? But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, he's an exciting player for sure, and I think he's got a lot to offer. But I think, as a pure second-row Norse, I don't think he's... Well, actually, you know what? I'm actually going to cover a bit of slack. I think, technically, he was quite good. Um, but he wasn't. it wasn't a masterclass, I don't think. He just had a very, very decent debut. Yeah. Um, apart from that, I mean, I think the game, I think the big question mark going into the game was sort of around DuPont, obviously not playing. First game in France, I'm going to have him for a while. Um, and I think it really affected them. Uh, his, and it was kind of obvious, but a lot of people kind of put down, not put down, because everyone says how good he is, he's the best player in the world, all this sort of thing, but maybe put down how much of an effect and their whole style of play um 
really got affected. I thought Luku was fairly poor. He was just very slow. And if anything, if anything, Gibson Park, I thought was excellent. He was getting at him every time, all over him. I think the whole Irish um, pack did. Everyone on, on the in an Irish shirt was writing him, get putting him under pressure all the time, all the time. And I think he kind of cracked a lot, made quite a few mistakes where I wasn't giving clean ball or he knocked the ball on, all that sort of stuff. And I think that kind of really accentuated the problems that uh, France were having and kind of changed the whole sort of play they had. It meant that pairs like Pinot didn't get on the ball as much and had a lot less of an impact on the game. Um, Jalibert didn't have much time because he was constantly under pressure because the delivery wasn't good. And I think the only time they started to really spark back into life a bit was when Lagarette came on. Um, and suddenly that ruck speed was much quicker. He plays in a much more similar style to to Dupont. And I thought suddenly they came a bit more alive and looked a bit more threat. Unfortunately, he came on when the game was already gone. But um, I think he may be the option going forward because because their style of play is still the same. They want, Or the way they want to play is still the same. I think he gives you a better alternative to Dupont in that way. Yeah, you're probably true. And there's there's no getting away from the fact that Lagarette had a fantastic game when he came off the bench. He was um he was yeah, very, very impressive. He, he sped the game up a lot more for France and he made some good decisions. And I also thought his kicking in general was 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 brilliant too. I, I hope they don't just drop Luku though, because I, I think Luku's actually got a lot more to offer. And maybe the pressure of that game kind of got the best of him. And it was a shame because I, I rate Luku highly. Um and I, I know on last week's podcast, I, I've spoken, uh, well, I talked about quite a lot. But, I mean, I'd probably start Luku again, just because you know that the effect of Lagarek off the bench is going to be very punchy. So you have that backup option there. Give Luku yeah. the start for me. Give him another crack. If it doesn't go well, then you rotate and bring Lagarek in um, the following week as a starter. But... But yeah, I, I mean, what you've also got to look at and with some different combinations coming through is the Luku and Jalibert understanding with the Bordeaux connection also a bit more beneficial? Yeah, I just maybe it was just the pressure he's put under. I think the other thing, France was really, none of their big-time performers were really that good. I thought Audrey went well at eight. Um, but apart from that, you look, as I said, Pano was... I know he scored his try, but overall I thought he was fairly poor. Um, Fiku was not great. Dante didn't go well, especially in the backs. Uh, Thomas Ramos wasn't amazing. Well, he was okay. I mean, we hold Thomas Ramos at such a high standard. I thought he was okay, but nothing more. Um, but yeah, I didn't think any of their big stars really went out and put... A- Jalibert was solid, but nothing more. Um, Can I tell you, could, what, one area of the game, which I know I mentioned in the group chat, which I was quite passionate about in the group chat. When was the last time we've seen fantastic games from Dante and Fiku in a friend in a friendship? I think Fiku's probably had more than Dante recently, if I'm being honest. Um, honest I think Fiku, maybe it's a, one of those things of Fiku has always been such a fantastic player that when he's not the best player on the pitch, you get slightly disappointed because. I think he also does a lot of the dog work, doesn't he? He doesn't do the fancy... It's not a Hugh Jones, maybe, at 13. A Gary Ringrose, you score in tries, popping up. Yeah, but I think we've seen him be work. so beneficial on French attacks in the past, and I just don't think we've got the same the same output from him at the moment. I really hope it changes, because 
when those two are firing, you probably have the oh, I don't want to say the best centre pairing in the league yeah, in, that, in the competition, but but Mo Farna also on the wing did not work for me at all. They looked completely unbalanced. Um, and he, he didn't really look very comfortable. I don't I don't really get the game plan behind it. They didn't see I thought when I didn't really get it when I saw the team sheet and I thought maybe I'd understand it a bit more once I watched the game and kind of had an idea of what they wanted to do. And even watching the game, I still don't really know why they didn't play one of their wingers because they've got options coming out their ears on the wing. Yeah. And it was um it was Biel Barry who has now come into the, the French squad for this weekend who will um, well, take bench, that mantle. Um, but I think that takes us on to a good point, James, because I think one person who really benefited from that was James Lowe. I thought he had a yeah. fantastic game, especially from the boot. And when you've got a kicker as proficient as James Lowe in the in the in the back three, you really need to be on it as a defensive team. And I think that really just slowed down France's progression. They didn't really have anything to play off on that front. Um so yeah. they um he's just got such a big boot on him, hasn't he? He's in lethal with that left boot. Um and yeah, like I said, Mofana went in there and it kind of made it felt a very unbalanced. We know Damon Panoa, like he doesn't really have a kick on him, it's not his forte at all. Um obviously he can kick, but it's not really an area of expertise. So it kind of meant that Jalibert had to drop all the time and it was just Jalibert and, and Ramos in the backfield, and I think when obviously Panodra did drop there, but then Mofana wasn't doing it as much and it just looked all clunky and, and it just allowed so much easy um, territory for Ireland. But yeah, Ireland, I think that's the big, no, yeah, we're moving on to Ireland now. The big talking point for me, and this was before Willemza went off, if I'm being honest, they bullied France up front and physically they dominated France. Yeah, which is something that no one really expected. And I think one man, obviously, it was a very, it was a team effort, and there's a lot of fantastic, um, big lumps in that Ireland team. But Joe McCarthy, how good was he? And we spoke okay. about Pasolo Tuolangi there not having potentially a particularly good nausey, um, uh, second row performance from a nausey uh, perspective. But Joe McCarthy certainly did. He's an exceptionally big bloke with a fantastic skill set, and I think he showed that on. On all fronts this weekend, he, he picked up man of the match, didn't he? As well, Jeremy Garvey. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, he was class. And I think the almost how well they played as a pack kind of goes because if if you said oh who was really good in the Irish pack, you would say McCarthy. I think Dan Sheehan played really well. Apart from that, I'm not sure you really name any of the others, but they all did such a job as a collective unit that, as I say, even when Willems was on the pitch, they were just beating them up front all the time. And I think it meant that Jack Crowley had such an easier game, almost, because he had that front football all the time, we, as we know, we've discussed on here before. If Ten's got a front football, it's so much easier all the time. Um, everything becomes easier, that much bit, that extra second longer, you've got everything. Um, and yeah, they really just beat them up in the pack. And Ireland, they looked like they had something to prove, um, if I'm being honest. They looked determined, clinical, Really, really, really good. Yeah, and I mean, if I'm honest, I thought we've seen better performances from Ireland, but they're not taken away from the fact that they're, they they played really well, because obviously they did. But I just wonder how much of it was France being poor and Ireland being being really good. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how both teams go 
for the rest of the season. If France could come back out next week and be that team we thought they were going to be, but then Ireland may also come out, maybe not against Italy, but we'll touch on them in a minute. Um, but they could come out and be perhaps not as not as clinical as we thought they might be. Maybe France were just more of an open door than we thought. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they go. I think for the rest of that's the, the difficult thing talking about games this week is we kind of don't know where everyone stands. Like if Italy go on, I know we're going to talk about them in a minute, but if Italy go on and lose every game now and get smacked, then we suddenly look at that England game in a different light. Whereas if Italy go on or are competitive with everyone, pick a few wins, you suddenly go, actually, that England performance wasn't as bad. Same as with France, uh, with Wales and Scotland. If Wales now are competitive every game, you go, actually, that what Scotland game was better maybe than we actually gave it credit for or may give it credit for. So I think that's the same with France. If France now go and dominate everyone, which I think they could well do, Ireland put 38 on them. I mean, at the end of the day, I know they were down to 14 men for, for a long time, but it was very clinical. And there was a time where it looked like France might get back into it. Was it at one point, was it 20, low 2017? And then Ireland were just like, nope, and just pulled away. And yeah, I think it was very clinical. It wasn't the best we've seen on, of them, but they more than did the job. And when you actually deep it and look at the score, they scored 38 to get this, this France team. And that is a smacking. So what more did you really want them to do? Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. That's a very fair point. But I don't think the Grand Slam is as one as people may think it, it was. Still got some tough games ahead, but yeah, in terms of games where you really can't work out if one team was fantastic and the other team was poor or vice versa, um, that Wales-Scotland game, what a crazy game that was. We're going there next, are we? Yeah, that's let's cool. go there next. Um, I think that's more interesting than the other one. Just just before we move on, literally, I mean, France slams in the bin already. Well, that lasted long. So <laughs> we move that's on true. to, uh, yeah, Wales-Scotland, obviously 26-27. Yeah. Uh, who was good? Who was bad? I mean... Tommy Rafael was very good. Tommy uh, Rafael was awesome. And I actually said in the group chat, and I want credit for this, so I'm going to say on the podcast, I said, if Wales have a chance to win this game, I said Tommy Rafael needs to be as good as he can be and almost win them the game single-handedly. I said he needs to win lots of penalties, get them back in the game, stop French momentum, which, uh, sorry, Scottish momentum, which he actually really did. However, they were 27-0 down before that really started happening. Although he did pick up a few penalties when they were getting that way on. Um, but yeah, Tommy Fowl and Thomas Williams, I think his introduction almost changed the game, um, which for Gloucester fans is very exciting. Having This is the first game most of them will seem really big game since he's announced the signing for Gloucester and then he puts a poor one's eye in. Um, got a lot of Gloucester fans purring. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Were Scotland so good to get a 27-0 lead on this Wales squad? Or were they that bad to allow Wales to come back? I don't know. I think, if we're honest, I think Scotland switched off in the second half, didn't they? And I think what you really saw was, as good as Thomas Williams was off the bench, Paul Graf Davis didn't have anything to play off in that first half, did he? He he was... He, it looked like he had a poor game, but he was on the back foot at every single ruck. And anyone worth their salt knows... If a scrum half's playing off back football all the time, it's really tough to get any go forward. I think there's only a very select few scrum halves in the world at the moment who can get that go forward consistently or at all off the pack that's going backwards all the time. So 
the pack stepped up in the second half, as you say, whether, whether the pack stepped up for Wales or the pack switched off for, for Scotland, Wales had more go forward. And Thomas Williams came on at the perfect time to inject that pace into the side, which benefited Wales um, heaps, as you, as you can see. Um, I think I the worry, thought... sorry, I, was just gonna say, I think the worries for Scotland though. If you look at that, if this, if that been the other way round, saying Wales had a twenty-seven nil lead and then it let let it slip like they did, you go fair enough. They're a really young side, new captain, new team. They're trying to build and and, and start, and you kind of go, yeah, that's fair enough that they they've kind of let this slip. Obviously, I know Scotland won, but they let it slip and they've let the other team in because they're in, inexperienced and and trying to build. I kind of get it. Scotland, we kind of touched on last week. They got the most continuity of any team in the Six Nations. They've got the leaders. They've got everything set. They've meant to have, by many people, the best 10 in the world, if not one of the best 10s in the world. And they just look so inexperienced. How you can let a team like that, which at 27-0, Wales were done. They were out of it. I've never heard the principality that quiet. There was barely, the only thing you could hear was bloody bagpipes. Um, and yet they allowed the Welsh to get in. And then it, it felt like once it started rolling, they just could not get the ball to stop rolling. And credit to them, they regrouped and, and got over the line just about. But bloody hell, they should never have made it as close as that was. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't argue with that. And I mean, just outside of this, and I don't think this contributed to the game um, because I think Carlborough, who actually played at 15, was 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 pretty good. Um but Blair Kinghorn pulling out a couple of days before was a real stinker for them. I, I think it's one of the players I highlighted um, on last week's pod. I was really excited to see Kinghorn go this year. He's been looking really nice for Toulouse. Like he's he's stepped up to be now a world-class 15. And I think the indecision around the Scottish team with, do you play Kinghorn at 10? And, and well, Russell's been dropped from the team because of whatever reason. Um, Hoggy's still in the team. Do you play Hogg over... Over Kinghorn, blah blah blah. Which who who you put him where? Now, when he's fit, you have Kinghorn who's your fifteen. You have Russell who's your ten. Both phenomenal players, and then you build around that. You've got a centre pair in which tick. You've got wingers who know where the try line is, can bulldoze anyone. Um, brilliant players, and you've got a pack which is starting to develop, starting to build, and is I, I don't want to say they're world class packs. I don't think they are. And I think that's maybe the the weak point. But what you've got is you've got a couple of real tough nuts in there. As well as some technical, technically very sound players, um, it's just tying it up now. And I think it was ticking in the first half. The pack was getting the front football. Russell was playing well. Duan van der, van der Merwe was having a field day, um, and yeah, uh, the only the only explanation is they just switched off, and then the leadership of that group couldn't bring things back together. And um, maybe when new co-captain Rory Darge comes back into the side, um, potentially this weekend, we could see a different look. Um, Scotland for the full game. Um, I think we also got yeah. the, the tactics wrong second half. They sat back on their lead and I thought that was completely wrong. I think just don't sit back on the lead like that. Just keep playing. Just keep going. Because if they kept going like they had first half, there's no way Wales get back into that team again. Because, okay, Wales won't score some tries, but Scotland would have kept going. They just sat back and just tried to defend it and kick and it just kicked so much. But it meant they were under so much pressure. They had so little of the ball in that second half. And it's really not Finn Russell's style. I really don't think it suits him, that kicking the ball away. He's not a George Ford who can kind of game manage and sort of that. That isn't his style at all. 
And that second half, he looked bad. He was making some bad mistakes. And yeah, just they just needed that control there. Right, we're actually, we, we've conceded a few tries now. Right, let's keep hold of this ball for the next three, four minutes. Calm the crowd down, get get our heads back, and then like reset. Then we'll give them the ball back, right? And then we'll move from there. Take the bit of the sting out of the game. They just didn't seem to have any whereabouts to do that, which is worrying for these international level players. And as you said, there's an argument. People people arguing they're world class players. They they've got to have that a bit about them to know. Like we can t- we can say that we play rugby at a very low level if you play. And and just watch, and you can see that from the start. So to not know that in the in the ground at the time, I, I, it just kind of baffles me. Um, but Wales, yeah, full credit to them. They came back. They showed a lot of heart, which is I think is what a lot of Welsh fans will take credit. Uh, take as long as their team showed fight, um, because at twenty seven nil down, it was like oh dear, this could be the worst Six Nations of all time for Wales. Um, at one point. But they showed a lot of fight, a lot of heart. It's a young team. I think a lot of Welsh fans know that it's going to be difficult Six Nations, but they can have at least a bit of hope for the future now watching that, which um, is is good going forward. Um, I think David Jenkins as well, the way if he'd got absolutely smacked on his first game as captain, that could have really taken could have really taken a hit from that. Where now he's got he'll have some confidence about them going forward. And also Josh Adams played the whole game limping. I mean, it shows the fight the squads have got, and it also might show the lack of options they've got. But um, I, I thought that was weird that he came out first half, and from the very first whistle, he was limping around the place. Yeah, one thing I did actually find a bit weird was Mason Grady was on the bench, wasn't he? Uh, I believe so. And they had a fairly inexperienced 13 who, off the top of my head, I can't remember his name, but I will grab that for us in a minute. His you name came, was... You keep uh, talking. Uh, what yeah, Ollie, Ollie Watkins, yeah. And they had Ollie Watkin at 13, very decent player. But I think when Mason Grady's been so impressive at 13 over the last couple of years, why would you not play him now? I understand the the desire to push him out as, into a winger. But, I mean, surely you just stick him in 13 when George North isn't available. Um, that would have given them more go for it. I think there was such a reliance to carry on Nick Tompkins. And Nick mm-hmm. Tompkins isn't the biggest threat. Well, he's actually that's 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 incorrect. He is a big threat, but he's not the biggest ball carrier straight down the middle to create that space. He's well, very that's... good at bit, it, it working in the space, but you don't you don't build off him like you do a Bundyaki. No. Well, you look at the team in general. Beard and Jenkins, neither of them really big ball carriers. Both of them, Rafael, neither of them. So you've got Aaron Rain, Wainwright in your. Pack. Apart from that, he's not really got any big carriers. And then Tompkins, he's not the biggest carrier. Josh Adams might actually be your other biggest carrier. He looked to be carrying enough. So that I think that is a, a problem. Also, I do think um, I'm not the biggest fan of Ben O'Keefe. And he did seem... He, I always feel like he's ref this way, but once a team gets momentum, bloody hell, he gives everything that way. I think it was 15 penalties in a row Wales got or so. And you what looked at some of them, oh my days, they were hands uh, every time. It was just like, in the first half, he seemed to be shit hot on. If your hands were over the ball, like on the floor, sorry, then he, and then you went onto the ball, it was not a turnover. Second half, he just didn't seem to care. You could do whatever you wanted in the rack and Wales That's seemed cool. to get all the calls. How quick does he call them as well? Yeah. Did you notice that? Shoot, like the hands on the floor thing were instant. The, the, if someone was, wasn't releasing, that was instant. There was no 
there mm-hmm. was no consideration process there at all, was it? That was literally. Yeah, he just seemed to who give. Who was in? That was cool. And whilst we're talking about referees, how bad was the the uh, ruck officiating um, in the Ireland France game? Just to go back to that, Ireland's yeah. hands all over the place. They were crawling over the floor. Um, I think it's smart though if you if you can play to the whistle. Oh, a hundred percent. If you then, know it's working for you, why yeah. would you not keep doing it? But it's. I think it's what's frustrating for the the fans is when you watch that game, then you watch the England Italy game, and on the very first kickoff, there's a penalty given away for um, hands in the hands in the ruck immediately, like really, really quick. And it's just like, how can you go from last night they they were referring to this standard to the next day they're refereeing and it's completely different standard and it's so much harsher it didn't really make much sense um also the other big thing for scotland is they from 27 nil up how have you not managed to get a bonus try bonus point try yeah that is, they're not i didn't realize that yeah they got three tries yeah that is a stinker no, that, that, is, stinker, but, that is bad so but, but yeah both both teams will look to build off a lot in that game but there's also a lot to rectify so it'd be interesting to see how they both go into their next games, respectively. Um, France for Scotland um, and Wales, uh, England for Wales. So it's going to be two big games coming up around the corner. Plenty to play for, really, because, yeah, um, there's a lot of positives to take. But, yeah, should we move on to the Italy-England game? Yes, we shall. Um, interesting again, game again. A bit of a confusing game. Um. England were solid, if not spectacular. And Italy looked good in parts, but it almost felt like England's second half just turned the whip and they had too much for Italy. It felt a bit like the Tommy Freeman show. Yeah. How good was Tommy Freeman? Tommy Freeman was absolutely excellent. Um, I'm a big admirer of Tommy Freeman. I've been on the Tommy Freeman bandwagon for ages. Um... I've been saying he should be in the team for a couple of seasons now. And he was really, really good. I thought some of England's backs play looked really promising. We looked more, much more threatening. I thought Freddie Stewart was really good, actually, in the back line. Um, he did get dusted for that one Italy try, though. Yeah, he did. But I thought that was the worry. No disrespect to Italy. But if Italy can pull you around and and make easy in the end it was they got round England onto the outside and then it was just easy two on ones three on twos easy just picked England apart and no disrespect to Italy but they aren't a France they aren't an Ireland they don't have the quality in that back line as those two teams do and if Italy can do I think it, that's harsh I don't think it is they don't have the quality of France and it's uh, France and Ireland in the back line yeah, they do have a lot of quality in there. Yeah, I never said they don't, but I just said they don't have the quality of France and Ireland. And my point is, if they can do it that easily, because it was, especially that first half, that those tries were fairly simple, or fairly simple backs moves. They got them out wide, and then it was just easy pickings. You do worry what will happen when they come up against slightly stronger opposition. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, isn't it? But I think... Just to, to counter your point there, and this is where my Italy fanboy comes through a little bit. Um, I think we saw some of the the important cogs in that Italy backline um uh, system really work 
well. Um, it was a shame we didn't see Kapowatsa, but I thought uh, Pani had a pretty pretty good game. Um, but Menoncello is fantastic. He, I, I thought Menoncello was a very good player, but he he went up in my estimations this week. I thought he was very very solid. Um, oh, he was the Paolo... difference, wasn't he? He was the difference between what we saw of Italy in the six in the World Cup, sorry, and this team. Yeah, I mean, you play him at twelve. He came through last season as a winger, didn't he? But um, now primarily playing through twelve. He's a big boy, six foot one, seventeen and a half stone, more or less. So that's about one hundred and ten plus kilos at six foot one. He well, he played on the wing, so we know he's got wheels. Um, but it's it's just his knowledge of when to go and when to when to hold off and play that pass is just top draw, I think. And he he cuts his lines brilliantly, and I think. He's a real threat and a real handful. And I mean, controversial maybe, but I'd take Menoncello. If I was playing a, a game on Saturday and I had the choice of Menoncello or Dante at um, 12, I'm picking Menoncello. I mean, he definitely got over the game line a hell of a lot better. And now you may argue, okay, he was playing Fraser Dingwall and not Bundiaki. Um, I think potentially that's fair. They also, I thought Italy, what Italy did well as well was target George Ford um, and Menoncello nearly always seemed to run in at George Ford um, and Ford did not seem to really want too much of that. Um, can't blame him. No, no, you, you can't. But Menoncello got them on the front foot and that is why the space created out wide. But I also thought the it also seemed, going back to England's defence, that the, the... And it's understandable because you had a lot of new names in here, but you had, or, or not necessarily new names, but different um partnerships and stuff but you had a lot of players almost out of position so you had rather than uh Ethan Roots or an underhill slightly wider you seem to have a a Joe Marler or a Dan Cole that bit wider not Dan Cole because he didn't start but Will Stewart slightly wider and then they're chasing that 13 down and they can't get across in the same way that a back row may um which I think was one of the problems. But yeah, Italy looked great in that first half. I think it's a bit of a worry. England's second half kind of stepped up and Italy didn't score a point until right at the, it, well, the 80 plus minutes, whatever it was, when uh, Monti only got three down the wing and scored. Um, but the game was already done by then. But I think you you take positives if you're Ital Ital Italian. They managed to get a bonus point against um, a losing bonus against England. England only scored two tries, so no bonus point for them. Um, and, and you're pretty happy with the performance. I think, yeah, you are a little bit disappointed with that second half because obviously going in at halftime, 17-14 up, and then really regressing to sort of type or what we expected um, more from the game in the second half where England m controlled it and got hold of the game, um, I think is... It, it, is a bit disappointing, but yeah, there's plenty of positives to take, and they really fronted up to England well, I thought. Yeah, they did, which is a big thing for them. And and the the, the new coaches preached that they're going to be playing like a more professional test team now. And if the if it's not on, they're going to try and bring in an intelligent kick game. And I think that could bring the best out of Garbisi. I mean, we saw it a little bit. We probably want to see it a little bit more. Um, but when they play on their own terms, and sort of have the, the the maturity as a side to to build in that way, I think there could be a big problem for uh for for teams that face them because Gobisi is a is is a great game controller as well as a, a bit of a flair player. So if they start to play that game more, it's going to bring the best out of Garbisi and then in turn bring the best out of everyone else around him, your Menoncellos, um Brex and the likes. 
outside of them. So I'm excited to see where this Italy team can go. I'm slightly disappointed that it's away at Ireland next because that's a, a hell of a test for anyone. But yeah, it would, would have been nice to see them maybe face off against Wales next week. That would have been a really fascinating game based on the the, the times of um, sort of the, the way the fixtures fell. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to go against Ireland, I think. Yeah, go down to England. I would have liked to see Finn Smith given a chance with Alex Mitchell. Obviously, they didn't actually get on the pitch at the same time. Um, and for some of the subs, he made the subs very late. And I would like to have seen yeah. some of the, especially front row, like Joe Marler came off in the 75th, Jamie George in the 73rd, Ollie Chesson came off in the 72nd. Um, I would have liked to see some of these players a little bit earlier. Uh, but England kind of had the ideal, if you're looking at it this way, kind of had the ideal build into the tournament. Uh, they've got Italy, they've got Wales next week, and you say they're the two weakest teams in the tournament. Um, so they, they can build, but they need to be a hell of a lot better than this. I said they'd finish third based on what I saw against South Africa in the World Cup uh, semi-final. Obviously, that was a long way off it, but there is a lot of new faces in there, and hopefully there's something to build on. Um, looking yeah. down the team, I thought Slade looked good again, and he's just such an intelligent. Some of the balls he was picking up, so he just seems to be all over the place at the moment. And yeah. he looks um, really good. Uh, I just want to, can I just jump in on Slade actually there? Yeah. I think what we saw, which in, in theory and looking at it in hindsight, it was probably very obvious, but the amount that we've seen Tommy Freeman playing at 13 for Northampton, um, and we know the proficient kicking game that Henry Slade possesses, you bring Freeman central on a lot of lines and you have Slade fall out the back as your kicking option. And I think that's what we look to do a lot of. Um, and it brought the best out of Freeman and it brought the best out of Slade. So I think that 14 and 13 combination could be really useful going forward. Um, and it, bring, it, it brings a lot out. You, you kind of have those hybrid style players now, don't you? And I think that could be really intelligent going yeah. forward. And also, you'll probably mention him in a second. But yeah, I thought Ethan Roots was worth a mention as well because yeah, he, was, um, yeah he was top as well. Strangely slow. I noticed on one of the drives where he's trying to get across and he looked quite slow, but he he's was... A big, he's a big rig. Yeah, he was excellent everywhere, carried really hard. I thought he was England's best carrier, um, definitely in the pack anyway. Got him on the front foot, tackled everything that came his way. He looked really, really, really good on... Um, his big, big shoes to fill with either Tom Curry maybe in that shirt or uh, Courtney Laws as it was uh, more recently. And he looks excellent in, in that game. Um, Underhill looking slightly off it. I'm not really surprised. Maybe that game was to try and get him some match fitness. Um, but he didn't really affect, have much of an effect on the game. But his replacement, I thought, was really good and looked really exciting when he came on. Looked through in, And, of course, we talk about uh, Chandler Cunningham South. Looked massive when he came on. Um, looked to be get involved every every time. I know he may had a knock-on where she potentially... Um, well, obviously shouldn't do, but we can't blame him. I think it was his England debut, was it? I'm not sure. But yeah, um, so, yeah. he looked really alive, wired, wanted to get involved, wanted to prove something. And he's such a big body in that back row that England don't really have outside of him or not when you're playing Roots, Underhill. And Earl not, I mean, Roots is obviously a big unit, but he's not got that height and size, I don't think, of a, a Cunningham South. Um, so Cunningham South, yeah, really looked lively and exciting and... and I was one who was a bit like, does he deserve to be in the squad potentially over a Barbary um, or a Zach Marissa? But I think he's proven um, he's 
versatile. He can come on anywhere in that back row. And or second yeah. row. I think he can play second row as well. Yeah, but I think England have got a lot of second rows, haven't they? So yeah. um but it's gonna it's gonna be interesting because I believe George Martin is back in contention this weekend. So I think if George Martin is fit sure and available. I think he's continuing his rehab with the squad, but I don't think he's gonna be fit for this week, is what I read. Right, okay. It's gonna be interesting because I think he is. Oh I yeah. He could be a, a brilliant. I, I think George Martin, the way he played in that World Cup semi-final was absolutely unbelievable. Um and he is this season, obviously he's been pairing up with Chesham in that second row for uh Leicester. So that'd be really exciting to see. Yeah, no, you are right. He's not listed in the team, so that's... Also, uh... just before we move on, I want to talk about the Daily Yellow. And I hate it. I absolutely despise it. We've got got contradicting views on this. It is not a yellow. It's never a yellow. It's not a yellow. He's tripped him. If you watch every single tackle... Not every single tackle, but 90% of tackles, when a player's running past them, um, they put out an arm and a leg to the side. And yes, you could say, oh, they're tackling with the arm, but they trip over the leg. It happens every game, all the time, whether that's uh, on a Saturday at your local team, in the Premiership, internationally. It happens all the bloody time. All the time. And it never, ever gets pinned. Right. If it got put, caught up all the time, I'd understand. But so often you put an arm and a leg out, they trip over your leg because your arm's there. It's fine. What's the difference in that? He has slipped. His legs come up and he's taken him down. He was going down anyway. Um, I'm not sure. Was it Maury or was it Panny at the time? No, I think it would have been Maury. On I think the it wing. was Maury, yeah. And he was going down anyway and he kind of slips puts his leg out art for me it never gets given never 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 and if you're a rugby you know it's, it's so so many players i've done it loads of times you make you put your leg out they can't go through your leg and your arm if you put just your arm out they can just bust through your arm it's, it's much easier if you put your leg in leg in the way and then they, they can't go through your leg every player's done it as they're coming across i know this is slightly different because obviously he slipped but for me it's just not a yellow and because it happens if it was, if it was, it's one of those, it's like offsides from kickoffs. If it was penalised every time, I don't mind. Every Everybody running off a kickoff is always offside and it's never pinned. It's one of those things. If it was given all the time or fairly regularly, I don't mind. It's just never given. So, do you know I mean, what I mean? That I is my kind of stance. I, I do get what you mean. I think that the difference with this one is Daly almost slips off the tackle as the leg comes up. So it's not there's a tangle and then the leg gets him in the in the end. In my in my view, he's gone to make the tackle, he's kind of bounced off of it, and then the leg comes up and then takes the man. I, I don't think that tackle is made if the foot isn't there at all. And oh, I think that's the difference. There just seems to be a little bit of separation there, which might be the difference. I just think it's such a rugby incident. That's my thing. And it happens all the time. And also, Henry Slate was getting across to him anyway, so it didn't really matter. But um, yeah. I think it was the right call, just for... Oh, just, I just so, hated it. Yeah, a, let, as... let us know um, on our socials if you think it was or wasn't also, uh, the right call. I also want your kind of feelings around Daly, because he kind of... I think lots of fans... Well, I know lots of fans only watch international rugby. Obviously, was shit for a while for England, then came back, 
was absolutely excellent last season for um, Saris, but people didn't see that necessarily. And then, and also people don't like Saris, which doesn't help. Um, comes in, and then people have been slagging him off even before he played for England. Oh, why is he playing for England? Doesn't deserve to play for England. Now, his position and whether he should play on the wing for England, I think that can be debated. Whether his best position is wing, I think that can be. But I think he deserves to be in the squad. He's, he's an excellent player. Um, but then people really slagged him off, said he was awful. I thought he, was, he wasn't particularly anything special. Um, obviously got his try. I know uh, Freeman did a lot of the donkey work for that. But I thought he was very solid. I didn't, I didn't get the hate going towards him. Yeah, I mean, for me, he's a 13 because I just don't think he's got the out-and-out -out pace anymore to, to be on the wing. A very classic operator and his, his positioning is fantastic and his knowledge of the game, his rugby IQ is obviously top draw, which is why he can get by on the wing um, without too much problems. But I think for me, his, his best attributes suit 13, but I think he's just too similar to Henry Slade. So, I mean, he's a, I think he'd be a great player to have on the bench because you can bring him on literally 13, 14, 11, 15, 10. You probably even bring him on as a 10 cover if really needs to be. Um, yeah. He's certainly done it before. So you you have a fantastically handy player to have on on that team. I, I I quite like Daly, but yeah, I just don't think he's a he's not an out winger anymore. No, no, and that that was kind of my view on it. I'm like I'm not sure I can have the argument. If you want to argue, shouldn't be starting on the wing for anyone. Yeah, I, actually, I, you know what? I say he's not an out and out winger anymore. I don't think he ever has been an out and out winger. I think he's always been a thirteen who can play on the wing. And I, I'm happy to have that argument with anyone. Yeah, um, I, I'd agree. I'd agree. With anyone. I'd but, have him in the team, I think. Yeah, that's the thing I don't get. It's, it's just this narrative that he's shit, and I just cannot. I think he's just very naive, and I think it kind of shows you don't watch rugby, really. If you think Elliot Daly's a shit rugby player, I think it means you don't know a lot about rugby, because he is so talented in so many ways. Um, and yes, I know he went through a bit of shit with England and wasn't very good. But then half of this England squad is. It doesn't mean they were awful. Um, also, I thought Freddie Stewart. He this season. I know I was kind of. I, well, I didn't jump on the bandwagon, but I was pushing that he shouldn't be playing for England after last year because, to be honest, he was awful. Um, that season he was bad. The World Cup semi final, he was excellent against South Africa, and he's just carried that into this season. Be next again, back to his best, and he's going to have that England fifteen jersey for a very, very long time because. He has, seems to be back to his very best, um, just dominant in everything he does. And he carries so hard. And I think that's such a threat from fullback. If he makes those late um, kind of direct runs from slightly deeper, um, I think he can be such a threat if utilised right, especially with players like Henry Slade, who's so clever with their movements and, and misdirection and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm a big fan of Freddie Stewart. And I just, yeah, we, we just want to see him at his best for as long as possible, don't we, really? Yeah, and he's still so young, because I think he's only 22, 23. He's very, very young. Yeah, he's been, um, he's been a, he feels like a stalwart in his team already, doesn't he? Well, yeah. Yeah, he does. Right, we shall move on to our team of the week. We're going to do one of these each week, uh, each week, each round, or whatever, of the uh, competition. Um... We don't do this with the Prem because it's hard to do because unless you've watched all the games, it's kind of hard to know, like, for props and stuff like that, who's shown because in highlights, you don't get many scrums. Um, so but we try to do this every week for uh, the Premiership. Um, and it's much easier to see three games, obviously, compared to five. So 
Um, I shall start off with the front row. And it we have deciders. I mean, it's mostly me. But we have a team, and I got the go-ahead from just me, so I must be very intelligent. Um, it's Pierre Showman, Dan Sheehan, and Tag Furlong in that front row. Yeah, I don't think I disagree with that. I don't think there's anyone in there which which doesn't disagree. deserve a spot. This is um, the I, I gave you opportunity to disagree, and you didn't, so... No, 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 no. What you did was you sent me the team and said, this is the team we'll talk no, about I on said, the pod. So I, I literally said, okay. put any thoughts open to opinions and no one you forget you forget i work in the day james i can't be was it eight o'clock last night well if any of james's colleagues listening um (laughs) you didn't do a lot of work today um (laughs) yeah but they're used to that for legal reasons for legal reasons i joke it was a quarter to seven last night i put the team in so i was busy last night i was playing football oh well i do apologize that I uh, was an inconvenience to you. Um, the other one, the one that I've been a bit confused about is I've seen lots of teams with Antonio at three. And I just no. don't get it because I didn't think he was... I thought Furlong was much the better player. I thought I thought Antonio was actually quite good, to be honest. I, I, I think he's... With his with his size, you struggle to have a poor game because you can just yeah, catch yeah. and catch and carry, really. But he, he's quite detrimental at scrum time, isn't he? To, well, I say detrimental as in to the other type. To yeah, destructive is more the word, probably. Um but yeah, I'm happy to go with, with Furlong there, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I was struggling to get any French players in this team, to be honest. I don't think they play well. Uh, into the row, Joe McCarthy, nailed on. Easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, player of the week. Probably, yeah. And Tagburn. Um, I think there was... I'm not, I struggled a little bit for his second rowers. And he's just I'm such... I don't think, a, yeah. There was, wasn't really anyone who, who was outstanding, was there, really? I mean, I you can argue Ruxa that... Or Canone. You could argue that um, Teddy Williams' appearance was very good, but again, I don't think it it qualifies for um, yeah. a team of the week spot. No, and and Tagburn, he's just you just know what you're going to get. He's going to give you at lowest a seven every week, seven out of ten every week, and at max obviously a ten. But he will get give you no lower than a seven out of ten every week, and quite often it's eight, nines, tens out of ten. He's just such a good player, isn't he? Yeah, he is top draw. He is top draw. Into the back row, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but Ethan Roots, he was excellent for England on debut. Um, what a find by, well, I guess kind of a find from Exeter, obviously played elsewhere before, but um, then Tommy Raphael, turnover king in uh, Wales. We were having this discussion earlier on and we'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Uh, Tommy Raphael, best uh, jackler in the Northern Hemisphere, question mark? Uh, good good question, good question. Jack Willis may have a, a question about that, but uh, I think Tommy Raphael is well in the question. Absolutely lethal at the breakdown. Um, and it's nice to see a proper seven again. Um, and Matt Fagerson at eight. I'm not sure many of the eights went that well. Doris did okay, but nothing too spectacular. Um, Wayne Wright went well, but I wanted to get a Scot- another Scottish player in here, if I'm being honest. So I went with Matt Fagerson. <laughs> yeah, no, amen to that. I, I'd back that. Uh, into the uh, backs now, nine, Gibson Park. He um, schooled Luca for being honest. He was so good uh, and showed why I think Ireland are not going to miss Johnny Sexton as much because he is just such a leader and, and can control games from nine rather than having to do it with ten. Having said yeah. that, though, we've got Jack Crowley at ten as well. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, just as, as the nine contenders, I think Thomas Williams could be in with a shout when he came yeah. off the bench. He only played a half, though, didn't he? So yeah, like... that's 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 understandable. And I think that um, Alex Mitchell looked pretty good when he was on the pitch. Um, yeah, but yeah, happy to uh, to go and give Gibson Park because probably the biggest game of the weekend and the the, the biggest outcome. Biggest game, didn't he? So fair yeah, enough. and Jack Crowley, we we didn't touch him touching him near enough in our description of the game, but. Um, he was brilliant on debut. He had a bit of a shaky start, I thought. Um, once he kind of settled into the game, he, he looked like a real dictator that has been in the team for a long, long time. So Ireland have clearly got another talent on their hands there. And yeah, it's uh, it's his 10 jersey to take now, isn't it? Yeah. To control and dominate a team like that, like he does, opposite Jalibert, opposite that French team. Um, they made them look like one of the lesser teams, no disrespect to Wales or Italy, but it kind of like felt like that sort of game where they were playing someone they were meant to be vastly superior to, rather than yeah. the big game of the thing. And I thought he was he was immense. And um, shout out to um uh, Ewan Lloyd as well. Um, yeah. Just because I, mean, I thought he, he came on with... Such, that one, but... Yeah, but I think he, he came on with very low expectations. Not many people expected him to be particularly great. And, I mean, Wales turned up when he came on, pretty much. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, you've got to give him some credit for that because I think he was his elusive self at 10 and, um, yeah, pretty good from the tee as well. So, yeah, credit credit to, to Lloyd as well. Yeah, better than Costello. Anyway, um, or Costa, Costello, Costello, I don't know. Costello, I think it is. Every we'll, every uh, every commentator seems to say his name differently, so I'm not really sure. Um, 12 was um, not even a question, was it? It was Tommaso. Yeah, yeah, it had to be Manicello. Yeah, Manicello. Um, was a beast for Italy, carried so much. Yep. 13, Robbie Henshaw, back to his best. Um, we were having this debate before. Robbie Henshaw's a beast, um, and I love him. And he, yeah, I don't think any... Slade had a good game. Um, apart from that, there wasn't too many 13s that really stood out, and I thought Henshaw was probably better um, than Slade, just about. Yep, good call. Uh, and on the wings, James Lowe, kind of spoke about him, bullet of a left boot, um, got Ireland out some sticky holes, that sounds weird, um, some sticky places, early doors um, with that left boot, and Tommy Freeman, who was everywhere for England. And to finish the team at fullback, we got Freddie Stewart, who actually, I thought, look, yeah, as I said, looked back to his best, very dominant in the air, dominant in the tackle, dominant in the carry, what more can you really want on a game where I thought Thomas Ramos and Hugo Keenan both of them had actually a minimal effect for my probably two best fullbacks in the world. Neither of them actually affected the game that strongly, I didn't think, this weekend. So it goes to Freddie Stewart. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that team, to be fair, James. You've done a, a decent job, actually, bearing in mind you've got you. no real ball knowledge. Um, uh, oh, oh, also, that... shout out to Tommy Allen at fullback. I thought he was very good for Italy as well. Yeah, Tommy Allen was good. I think Joanne Vandermeer was very good as well. I'm probably in the conversation for, for the wingers, but no arguments with James Lowe or Tommy Freeman, obviously, as we, we've discussed. But good to have the Six Nations back. Um, and... Should we do our predictions quickly for the next week? Oh, of course. Yeah, I was about to... You, you heard me do my outro yeah, voice. Yeah, you were going into the, into the... Not intro, what's the opposite? You heard me slip outro. into my outro voice. I oh, know. Okay, yeah, cool. Let's, let's run through the predictions. What What are the games? I don't know what the games are. So the games are... I don't know when which one starts. Oh, I do know which one starts with which. So it's France versus Scotland to start with, isn't it? Scotland versus France, yeah, at Murrayfield at quarter past yeah. two. Scotland versus France at Murrayfield at quarter past two. Um, um, you know what? I'm going to take Scotland, James. 
Well, you said this last week. You said uh, France to do Ireland and then Scotland to do France. So there'll be no slam. Is what you yep. predicted originally. I so feel it, that? James. I feel it. Scotland. Um, I'm going to go with France just because I think they'll have a big fight back and um, after last week, want to have a big push and Scotland worry me with that second half. Yeah, I think um, that's, that's a fair, fair worry. England back home at Twickenham to play Wales um, at quarter to five. I'm going to go England. I think um, they'll build on that performance in Italy and I think they'll have too much from this Welsh team. Um, but we'll see. If Wales play like they did in the first half, England will batter them. If England play in the, if Wales play in the second half, it could be an interesting game. Yeah, no, absolutely that. Absolutely that. I think, yeah, I mean, you've got to back England, don't you? But I, I, I do agree. It could be a very interesting game. So, yeah, yeah let, let's lock in England. If it's anything like the first half, 27 nil down, say they were at Murrayfield, I don't think they come back. I think being in Cardiff helped that. Um, yeah, I think no, for sure. Away from um, and then the last game is Ireland-Italy um, on the Sunday at three o'clock. Uh, I, I mean, I, you can't it's, not it's go a tough Ireland. one. <laughs> you can't not go Ireland though, can you, really? Yeah. Like, I mean, part of me wants to go Italy, but you just can't. I can't state enough how much I'd love Italy to do it, but I just can't. I just can't see Ireland losing this game. I think they'll be... The only thing which could concern you with Ireland is if they really rotate... Um, and Italy go full noise. That that could potentially cause it to be a really close game. And I, I really do like Italy this year, but Ireland are just, they're, they're right at the top of the tree at the moment, are they? So, yeah, it, it's got to be Ireland. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think they're just too strong. And that's why, realistically, they should have done better in the World Cup because this team is immense. And but they bottle the World Cup as they always do. But in the Six Nations, they are serial winners, winners. So it wouldn't surprise me if they go on to do the slam now. But um, yeah, I think they'll have too much for Italy. Yeah, I think that is absolutely fair. So to summarise, that's the only difference there. So we're both going England against Wales. We're both going Ireland against Italy. But I'm going Scotland and you're going France. Yes. Lovely. So it's a very exciting weekend of rugby. I'm going to try and watch both of the um, both of the Saturday matches. However, I'm going to be in Ealing with the Cornish Pirates doing their media for the day. So um could be... A tough little game, bit yeah. of a tough, a, a tough one. Yeah, that's going to be a huge game. Cornish Pirates travelling to Ealing. Winner takes the top spot in the championship for the time being. Um, some matchups which are going to be really exciting as well. Um, yeah, both teams in some seriously hot form at the moment. So it's going to be very decent. If you haven't seen, I know we were raving about John Stevens's hit for the Cornish Pirates last week. Um, but this week they, they produced another absolute mammoth shot with Joe Jenkins, who you Bristol fans might know the name of. He's on loan from Bristol at the moment, playing down um, at the Monet Stadium. Um, put an absolute huge shot away at Bedford last week. So, yeah, tune into that one if you haven't already, all over social media, um, on the Cornish Pirates page and on our page as well. So, uh, a big hit to tune in and watch. Um, yeah. And our team of the week will be out on our socials uh, later on today, probably, if you're listening to this on Thursday. Um, so if you disagree with anything we've said or if you agree with anything we said and say James is a genius which would be nice um, yeah, give us a comment, let us know what you're thinking and uh, who you would have had in your team the week yeah, absolutely that and obviously three mammoth fixtures in the Six Nations this weekend um, but a lot of rugby going on in the champ in the Premiership Women's Rugby as well and then obviously local rugby is going on all weekend to get down to a clubhouse to, to watch their game and watch the Six Nations because most, if not all of them, will be showing it 
But yeah, enjoy the rugby this weekend, guys, and we will see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Uh,